Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. Good morning, Northridge. I'm happy to be here with you today, and I think it's appropriate uh, for us to begin with prayer. So please pray with me. Almighty God, we give you the highest praise. We sing Hosanna in the highest, for your son Jesus is the Christ, and he is Lord, and he is here. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to see him clearly to remove anything from our vision that causes us to miss him so that we might have a life-changing encounter with him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll give you greetings from Point University. There are a few more of you here than are normally in my classes at Point, but I think we'll be able to get through it. Um, At Point, I've been there for about a year now, and our theme for this year is Consider Jesus. And I'm excited about teaching at Point because I have the full backing of the university to tell people about the real Jesus every day. And I think that aligns with what y'all are doing here at Northridge. And I get to see this come to fruition. Um, I teach freshmen uh, a class called the Drama of Scripture. And for some of them, it's the first time uh, they've ever opened the Bible. So I have a part in my syllabus that tells them how to work books and chapters and verses to get to the right place. And just last week, as one of our students was giving a tour, um, she had a group of people behind her who were considering point, and she popped her head in my office and said, Dr. Wares, I want you to know that I accepted Jesus and got baptized last week. She had come to point to play sports, but she found Jesus instead. And so... On behalf of Point University and Dean Collins, I want to say thank you for your support of the university and for your support of me as a minister of the gospel. It's because of what y'all do and what y'all give here that we're able to do what we do over there. So thank you. Today I'm going to be talking to you about encountering the real Jesus. And it might seem kind of funny because that's what we try to do all the time, but I think many times we end up missing. Um, I don't know about you, but I have a pretty active imagination. And my parents tell me that I've had a really active imagination since I was a child. One time they told me that we were going to go to Six Flags the next day, and my imagination was so active, I got so excited about it, that I got sick to my stomach, so sick, in fact, that we were unable to go. (laughs) So my excitement about the real thing was so great that it turned into a fantasy, and that fantasy was so powerful that it kept me from experiencing the thing itself. I've grown up, uh, I'm in my mid-30s now, I'm starting to get a few gray hairs, and I still do the same thing. Um, I used to surf whenever I had the chance, and I would be uh, at college um, in Atlanta, and I would do what we call mind surfing, okay? So mind surfing is what you do when you can't do the real thing. So I'd go on the internet and I'd look up surf reports and I'd go look at wave cams and uh, I'd think about just how great it would be when I got back in the water to surf again, okay? The thing about mind surfing um, is that I was always really good, 
when I mind surfed. I never fell. Um, I didn't have to paddle out on a rough day and nearly drown. Um, so when I mind surfed, it was just the good stuff, just the easy stuff. Okay? I thought I had grown out of that, um, but for the past seven years, my wife Katie and I have been in exile in the middle parts of the country. We spent five years in Wisconsin and two years in Kansas. Now, other than the bitter cold and winds, what these two states have in common is that they do not touch salt water. Okay. My dad and I uh, loved to go saltwater fishing um, whenever we had the chance growing up. So we'd sometimes go offshore if we wanted to catch some serious fish, or sometimes we'd go inshore and catch redfish and trout. And the thing I remember most about our fishing trips is not the trips themselves. The thing I remember most is the night before the trips. So we'd be getting up maybe at 4 a.m., so we had to drive to the coast, get to the boat before the sun came up. And I remember lying in my bed, looking over at my clock every five minutes, expecting it to have advanced an hour, only to realize that it had advanced exactly five minutes. I had built up this fishing trip so much that I couldn't sleep. And when we were in exile in the middle parts of the country, um, I found this thing called the internet, and there's this thing called YouTube on the internet, and you can watch videos about anything. So I ended up doing a lot of mind fishing from Kansas, okay? So I was thinking about my offshore fishing trips. Um, I ended up not fishing at all for about seven years in the salt water, right? This thing, not the real thing, had taken the place of the real thing. And when I mind fished, um, I always caught fish. And I always caught the best fish and the biggest fish. And it never took two hours to get out to the fishing spot. It was easy, right? Everything went according to plan. Nobody got seasick. Nobody got sunburnt. I think all of us do this, right? We have this tendency to build things up in our mind. We build up expectations. And sometimes what happens is our expectations about the thing end up not looking like the thing at all. And we call that fantasy. And I think the problem with fantasy is that it doesn't match up on either end of the real thing. You see, when we fantasize about something, we truncate it, we shrink it, we make it small enough to fit on a screen. We leave the bad stuff out. We don't want that stuff. We just want the good stuff. The problem is, though, the good stuff in a fantasy is never as good as the real thing itself. Okay. I think this is exactly the problem that Jesus' disciples had. We're going to look at Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and I think what we're going to see is that they had a fantasy about Jesus that didn't match up with Jesus himself. I still have that problem sometime today. Okay, so what we're going to do, we're gonna, I'm, a, I'm a historical theologian, so we're going to do a few historical snapshots here. Our first snapshot is from between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There was this guy named Alexander the Great. You might have heard of him. He rode around, conquered everything, made everybody speak Greek, and he ended up conquering the people of Israel, God's chosen people. And eventually he died, like all uh, despots do, and left his empire to a number of successors. Okay. His successor who was in charge of the land of Israel was a bad, bad dude. Okay. He tried to make the Jews 
get rid of their religion, get rid of anything that marked them out as the people of God. And eventually people had enough, and they started a revolt. So there's this family called the Maccabees, and the son in this family, Judas, he was a good warrior. Okay. So Judas conquered, um, drove out the oppressors, took back the land, and rode into Jerusalem, which is like the capital city of Israel, um, and took it back from the foreign oppressors. And I want you to hear um, how it gets described in one of the historical accounts, okay? Now, Judas Maccabeus and his followers, with the Lord leading them on, recovered the temple and the city. Okay, so we should be, like, really excited about that, right? They took it back from the oppressors. They can worship God again. This is good. They tore down the altars that had been built in the public square by the foreigners and also destroyed the sacred precincts. They purified the sanctuary. It's a good thing to have happen. And when they had done this, they fell down and worshiped the Lord and asked that it might never happen again. They celebrated it for eight days with rejoicing. And then, listen to this, this might sound familiar. They carried ivy-wreathed wands and beautiful branches and also fronds of palm, they offered hymns of thanksgiving to him who had given success to the purifying of his own holy place. They decreed by public edict, ratified by vote, that the whole nation of the Jews should observe these days every year. Okay, this snapshot is one of unbridled joy. If you have been under the boot of an oppressor, and you drive that oppressor out, and you are able to freely worship God again, you're going to be happy. And you're going to sing songs. You might say something like, Hosanna, praise God. And they had palm branches, which we're going to see in just a second. So this is what you do when you've had a great victory, a great military victory, and you're happy about it. You sing songs, you lay branches down. Um, and the Jews had a word for somebody like Judas Maccabeus. The word is Messiah which means anointed one, somebody anointed by God. So the Jews at the time of Jesus were expecting somebody who looked like Judas Maccabeus to drive out the Roman oppressors and purify the temple and allow people to worship God freely. Okay. Now let's go to our second snapshot. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 8, right in the middle of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has been preaching for a while, and he's gained a lot of popularity. He's been healing people and driving out demons and doing a lot of cool stuff. And he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they give him a few answers. Some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, others some, one of the prophets. And then Peter speaks up. Peter always speaks up, sometimes when he shouldn't speak up. But he speaks up, and he says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, Jesus. And Jesus says, yep but don't tell anybody. Okay. So, yes, I'm the Messiah, but don't tell anybody about it. And then Jesus, okay, so imagine Peter and Jesus um, doing this by text message, right? We're in the 21st century now. Um, so Jesus does this, and he's like, thumbs up, I'm the Messiah. And then uh, the next thing Jesus does is he sends a skull and crossbones emoji, right? Right after you are the Messiah, Jesus says, yes, Jesus says, I'm going to go die. Okay, and then something really weird happens. Peter grabs Jesus, and he pulls him aside, and he rebukes Jesus. Okay, I'm a trained theologian. I can tell you with 100% certainty, 
it's never a good idea to rebuke Jesus. Just, just don't go there. Not a good idea. But this begs a question. Why, why would Peter rebuke Jesus, right? What has Jesus done that he needs to be rebuked? You see, I think Peter rebuked Jesus because Jesus didn't match up with the fantasy Peter had about Jesus. I think Peter had a fantasy about the Messiah. The Messiah is going to be like Judas Maccabeus. He's going to win some battles. He's going to drive out oppressors. But then Peter's fantasy about the Messiah runs into Jesus, and it doesn't match up. Jesus says, yes, I'm the Messiah, and I'm going to go die. And then, to make things worse, Jesus says, and you know what, Peter and all you disciples? If you want to follow me, you've got to take up your crosses and come die with me too. That's not the sort of thing a Messiah does, Jesus. I think Peter wants Jesus to revise his plan of attack to include a little more attack. But Jesus doesn't fit into Peter's fantasy. I think we have the same problem today. We come up with ideas about Jesus, what we think he should say, what we think he should do. And if he ever doesn't match up, we don't rebuke him, right? We're not as bold as Peter. We wouldn't rebuke Jesus, but we might, we might just ignore the things he says that we don't like because we're not as bold as Peter, but our fantasies still persist. Here's the thing. If you find yourself wanting to rebuke Jesus or to ignore Jesus or to skip a page in your Bible when you know what's coming up, you might have a fantasy about Jesus instead of the real thing. So our task today is to get rid of the fantasy. You see, you might sign up to follow Jesus but ask for an exemption. Can I get out of the whole carrying my cross thing or the whole selling my possessions thing, Jesus? I don't don't know about that. The thing about Jesus is it's all or nothing. When we follow Jesus, he asks for everything. He asks us to reorient our whole life around him. And this is a lifelong task. Just because I went to a lot of school, just because I'm a preacher's kid, does not mean that I got rid of my fantasies about Jesus once and for all. It's something I do every day. Try to encounter the real Jesus himself and allow him to transform me rather than shape him with my ideas about him. Okay, we've got a third snapshot here, and this is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We have Palm Sunday today, and what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this passage together. I'm going to make a few observations about it as we go, and then we're going to ask some maybe difficult questions about our own fantasy. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark 11. We're going to walk through most of the chapter. So we'll begin in verse 1. 
when they were approaching Jerusalem, you're always going up to Jerusalem if you're going to Jerusalem, at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. I'm a little bit of a nerd, um, and nerds often like Star Wars, and when I read this passage, uh, I always think about that scene in Star Wars when Obi-Wan says, these are not the droids you're looking for. It's kind of like what the disciples say, the Lord needs this cult. And they're just like, okay, cool, uh, you can have this cult. So Star Wars aside, um, the thing you should notice about this cult is that this is the way to enter Jerusalem in style. Not walking in with mud-caked feet, riding the equivalent of a Cadillac, riding something like that guy Judas Maccabeus rode into Jerusalem after he had just won a military victory. And then this continues. They brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. See, when people see Jesus coming into Jerusalem, they had probably heard that he was the Messiah. So when they see him coming, they do exactly the sort of things we see in the first snapshot. They get palm branches, they lay down clothes, they sing songs. And the words of the song are actually pretty interesting when you put them in the context of this whole Messiah thing. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. See, if you're under the boot of an oppressor and the Messiah comes to town and you're talking about a kingdom that's not Rome, you might be expecting a little bit of action, maybe a revolt. See, I think even as these people are singing this song about Jesus, which is true, right? Jesus is bringing a kingdom, but it's not the kind they think, right? They have a fantasy about Jesus that they're putting on top of him, and it keeps them from actually seeing him. And then this passage continues. He he curses a fig tree. He turns aside and curses a fig tree. It's kind of odd. We're going to passed by that. Um, And then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. When the chief priests and scribes heard it, They kept looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, 
Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Okay, let's do a quick recap of what we've got so far. Jesus, who has affirmed that he is the Messiah, has ridden into town on a donkey. While people are singing, blessed is this guy who comes in the name of the king and is going to set up a kingdom. I think if I were one of the disciples, I would have been doing one of two things. I would have been going to find a weapon to help with the revolt, or I'd been uh, making some popcorn so I could watch, you know, stand back a little bit, be safe, um, eat my popcorn, watch Jesus drive the Romans out. Because I think at this point, even though they're saying something true, it's still a fantasy. And you know why I think it's a fantasy? Because in a few short days, all these people are gone. They are nowhere to be found, right? Jesus has come into Jerusalem not to start a revolt against the Romans, but to die. He is going to the cross, right? That's where we're going on Friday, on Good Friday. Jesus is going to the cross. And the closer he gets to the cross, the more his followers fade away, right? Because they're thinking... This is not what we signed up for. We wanted a revolt. We wanted a kingdom, just like Judas Maccabeus set up. And you're going to go die, Jesus? I think you've got it wrong. And this fantasy is so strong that even Peter, this guy who was always right next to Jesus, who said, you're the Messiah, even Peter denied Jesus three times and was gone. That's kind of hard for me to read, right? It's my job as a theology professor to have this whole Jesus thing figured out. And if I want to place myself into this story, I want to place myself, you know, right next to Jesus. I'm the, I'm the guy who hangs out with him, who says the correct theological things, like, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And then I read this story, and I see that even those people who thought they had it most figured out, didn't see Jesus. So my question for us today is, is this still the case? Do we have fantasies about Jesus that keep us from seeing him, even sometimes in church? Do our fantasies about Jesus keep us From the real thing, like mine did when I was a kid? For some of you, your fantasies about Jesus might be like my fantasies about surfing without having to paddle out or without having the near drowning experiences on the big days. For some of you, Jesus might be just a nice guy who doesn't ask anything of you, not the guy who's going to the cross and who says, come follow me, right? You might have a Jesus who only wants the good stuff. I've got something to say to you. This Jesus, the real Jesus, is headed to the cross, and he calls you and me to follow him. The great thing about this Jesus is that he doesn't stay dead. He rises again. So that when you go to the cross, 
with Jesus and die to yourself, you find true life. And this Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us to give us the power we need to follow him wherever he goes. So maybe your fantasy is that Jesus doesn't require the hard stuff. That's not the real Jesus. You need the real Jesus. Or maybe your fantasy is something different. Maybe your fantasy about Jesus is that you can be like Zacchaeus. You can kind of hang out on the fringes and watch. That you don't have to go all in with Jesus. You don't have to fully commit. Or maybe it's that you think that you're not good enough for Jesus. Maybe you've got something in your life that you can't give up. And you know that if you can't give it up, you can't come to Jesus. Or maybe it's that you've got something in your life that you think is too bad for Jesus to handle. Maybe you think that you have to get yourself all the way fixed before you come to Jesus. That's the case. Hear this. The Jesus, the real Jesus, who is calling you to follow him is the Jesus who hung out with tax collectors and sinners. He's the one who gave sight to the blind, who healed the lame, who cast out demons, who calmed the sea, who called Lazarus out of death with his voice, who went to the cross to die, who was buried in a tomb, but who rose again on the third day. Believe me, whatever you've got that you think is keeping you from Jesus, he can handle it. The real Jesus has got it under control. My challenge for you and for myself as we approach Easter, as we see Jesus in all his glory as the resurrected Lord, is to replace the fantasy with the real thing, to encounter the real Jesus, take down all the barriers and let him transform you. Listen, it's Palm Sunday and Jesus is coming to town. In fact, Jesus is already here. Jesus is headed to the cross and he's calling us to follow him. So if you've got fantasies about Jesus, It's our job here, it's my job and it's your job and it's the job of this church to cut through the noise, to help us move aside our fantasies, all these barriers that we have so that we can get to Jesus himself. If you've got things in your life that you think are keeping you from Jesus, we want to help because the real thing is always better than our fantasies about it. The real thing changes lives and heals. Fantasies never do that. So if you've been sitting on the sidelines watching Jesus from afar, he's here. He's ready. He is waiting for you. If you've got stuff in your life that is keeping you from the fullness of encounter with Jesus, we want to help you get past that. We're going to have pastors and elders up front And if you need prayer, if you need a community of believers to help support you because you can't carry it on your own, 
That's what we're here for. Because the real Jesus, he's always worth it. And he's ready. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we want to see you clearly. And when we see you clearly, we want to replace our fantasies about you with the real thing. Give us the strength to follow you faithfully and give us the joy and hope of the resurrection, which we so eagerly anticipate. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.